Chapter Seventeen of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Seventeen. What's done cannot be undone. To bed, to bed, to bed. Exit Lady Macbeth. The distance at which the whist party had placed themselves and the deep interest in which their senses were involved while the fate of the odd trick was pending had rendered them insensible to the scene that was acted at the other extremity of the apartment the task of administering succour to the afflicted fair one therefore devolved upon miss becky whose sympathetic powers never had been called into action before slowly approaching the wretched lady juliana as she lay back in her chair the tears coursing each other down her cheeks she tendered her a smelling-bottle, to which her own nose, and the noses of her sisters, were wont to be applied whenever, as they choicely expressed it, they wanted a fine smell. But upon this trying occasion she went still farther. She unscrewed the stopper, unfolded a cotton handkerchief upon which she poured a few drops of lavender water, and offered it to her ladyship, deeming that the most elegant and efficient manner in which she could afford relief. But the well-meant offering was silently waved off, and poor Miss Becky, having done all that the light of reason suggested to her, retreated to her seat, wondering what it was her fine sister-in-law would be at. By the time the rubber was ended, her ladyship's fears of Lady Maclaughlan had enabled her to conquer her feelings so far that they had now sunk into a state of sullen dejection, which the good aunts eagerly interpreted into the fatigue of the journey. Miss Grizzy declaring that although the drive was most delightful, nobody could deny that, and they all enjoyed it excessively, as indeed everybody must who had eyes in their head, yet she must own, at the same time, that she really felt as if all her bones were broke. A general rising, therefore, took place at an early hour, and Lady Juliana, attended by all the females of the party, was ushered into the chamber of state, which was fitted up in a style acknowledged to be truly magnificent by all who had ever enjoyed the honour of being permitted to gaze on its white velvet bed-curtains, surmounted by the family arms, and gracefully tucked up by hands, sinister coupéed at the wrists, etc. But lest my fashionable readers should be of a different opinion, I shall refrain from giving an inventory of the various articles with which this favoured chamber was furnished. Mrs. Grizzy and Jackie occupied the green room which had been fitted up at Sir Sampson's berth. The curtains hung at a respectful distance from the ground. The chimney-piece was far beyond the reach even of majestic Jackie's arm, and the painted Tiffany toilette was covered with a shoal of little tortoise-shell boxes of all shapes and sizes. A grim visage, scowling from under a highland bonnet graced by a single black feather, hung on high. Miss Grizzy placed herself before it, and holding up the candle, contemplated it for about the nine hundredth time, with an awe bordering almost on adoration. Certainly Sir Enos must have been a most wonderful man. Nobody can deny that. And there could be no question but he had the second sight to the greatest degree. Indeed, I never heard it disputed. Many of his prophecies, indeed, seem to have been quite incomprehensible. But that is so much the more extraordinary. You know, for instance, the one with regard to our family, lowering her voice, 
for my part i declare i could never comprehend it and yet there must be something in it too but how any branch from the glenfern tree of course you know that can only mean the family tree should help to prop lockmarley's walls is what i can't conceive if sir sampson had a son to be sure some of the girls for you know it can't be any of us at least i declare for my own part i'm sure even if anything which i trust in goodness there is not the least chance of should ever happen to dear lady maclaughlan and sir sampson should take it into his head which of course is a thing not to be thought about and indeed i'm quite convinced it would be very much out of respect to dear lady maclaughlan a friendship for us if such a thing was ever into his head here the tender grizzy got so involved in her own ideas as to the possibility of lady maclaughlan's death and the propriety of sir sampson's proposals together with the fulfilling of sir enos the seer's prophecy that there is no saying how far she strayed in her self-created labyrinth such as choose to follow her may for our part we prefer accompanying the youthful becky to her chamber whither she was also attended by the lady of the mansion becky's destiny for the night lay at the top of one of those little straggling wooden stairs common in old houses which creaked in all directions the bed was placed in a recess dark as a rebus and betwixt the bed and the wall was a depth profound which becky's eye dared not attempt to penetrate you will find everything right here child said lady maclaughlan and if anything should be wrong you must think it right i never suffer anything to be wrong here humph becky emboldened by despair cast a look towards the recess and in a faint voice ventured to inquire is there no fear that tom jones or gil blass may be in that place behind the bed and if they should answered her hostess in her most appalling tone what is that to you are you a mouse that you are afraid they will eat you yes i suppose you are you are perhaps the princess in the fairy tale who was a woman by day and a mouse by night i believe you are bewitched so i wish your mouseship a good night and she descended the creaking stair singing mrs mouse are you within till even her stentorian voice was lost in distance poor becky's heart died with the retreating sounds and only revived to beat time with the worm in the wood long and eerie was the night as she gave herself up to all the horrors of a superstitious mind ghosts gray black and white flitted around her couch cats half human held her throat the death-watch tickled in her ears at length the light of morning shed its brightening influence in the dim opaque of her understanding and when all things stood disclosed in light she shut her eyes and oped her mouth in all the blissfulness of security the light of day was indeed favorable for displaying to advantage the beauties of lochmarley castle which owed more to nature than art it was beautifully situated on a smooth green bank that rose somewhat abruptly from the lake and commanded a view which if not extensive was yet full of variety and grandeur its venerable turrets reared themselves above the trees which seemed coeval with them and the vast magnificence of its wide-spreading lawns and extensive forests seemed to appertain to some feudal prince's lofty domain but in vain were creation's charms spread before lady juliana's eyes woods and mountains and lakes and rivers were odious things and her heart panted for dusty squares and suffocating drawing-rooms 
something was said of departing by the sisters when the party met at breakfast but this was immediately negatived in the most decided manner by their hostess since you have taken your own time to come my dears you must take mine to go thursday was the day i invited you for or at least wanted you for so you must stay thursday and go away on friday and my blessing go with you <laughs> the sisters charmed with what they termed the hospitality and friendship of this invitation delightedly agreed to remain and as things were at least conducted in better style there than at glenfern uncomfortable as it was lady juliana found herself somewhat nearer home there than at the family chateau lady maclaughlan who could be commonly civil in her own house was at some pains to amuse her guest by showing her collection of china and cabinet of gems both of which were remarkably fine there was also a library and a gallery containing some good pictures and what lady juliana prized still more a billiard-table thursday the destined day at length arrived and a large party assembled to dinner lady juliana as she half reclined on a sofa surveyed the company with a supercilious stare and without deigning to take any part in the general conversation that went on it was enough that they spoke with a peculiar accent everything they said must be barbarous but she was pleased once more to eat off plate and to find herself in rooms which though grotesque and comfortless yet wore an air of state and whose vastness enable her to keep aloof from those with whom she never willingly came in contact it was therefore with regret she saw the day of her departure arrive and found herself once more an unwilling inmate of her only asylum particularly as her situation now required comforts and indulgences which it was there impossible to procure end of chapter seventeen recording by patty cunningham